Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We are in chapter four, going through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, that just five chapter little book that he wrote when he was running a seminary in exile pre-World War II in the 30s before we got involved and then he was finally uh, imprisoned and put to death before the end of the war. But this book, as you know, has been a real blessing for those who have been following along. And here he gets to the chapter on ministry. And this is what we do. Last week I said how we're all ministers. And he talks about four kinds of ministry. The ministry of listening, the ministry of helpfulness, the ministry of bearing, and the ministry of proclaiming. There's one more, but I I didn't think you guys had time for that. Uh, The ministry of listening. I was was watching a TED Talk. I don't know if you guys ever watch TED Talks, but I was watching one, and this guy, uh, William Urey, is a negotiator, and he travels all over the place, and he he does high-level negotiations, and he was brought in to meet with, I believe it's the president of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, and and he's scheduled for a 9 p.m. meeting he and another negotiator, to come in and meet with the president. And so he's there at before nine, and they finally get in at midnight. And he's got all his advisors around him, and he says, so Yuri, tell me you know, what you think about how things are going. And he, he says, you know, they, they seem to be going okay. People are starting to listen. And, and the president just started to go off on him. What do you mean? And, and he said this president was known for eight-hour speeches. And he, he said he started, ra- the president's raising his voice. He goes, I noticed that my heart was beating fast. My face was starting to flush. And I thought, you, you can't get in an argument here with the president. He says, you're not going to win. He said, so I, he goes, I just listened. And I looked him in the eyes, and I just responded and listened, and he spoke for 30 minutes straight, angrily. He goes, towards the end of the 30 minutes, his shoulders dropped, and he relaxed, and he said, so, Yuri, what do you think I should do? And Yuri said that listening may be the golden key that opens the door to human relationships. And he said, well, what I think you should do is we're coming into the holidays, and you canceled all the holidays last year. Why don't you bring them back? Let everybody, you know, call a truce, so to speak. Let everybody enjoy the holidays, and then after the festivities, maybe everyone will be open to listening to each other. The president says, great idea. I will announce it in my next speech. Listening is powerful, isn't it? I mean, listening is very powerful. When I was in the business world and I was in sales, we used to say, telling isn't selling, asking is. Telling isn't selling, asking is. And one time I was asked to do sales training for the whole uh, sales force, and they asked me to do it on, I think it was um, building rapport with customers. And I thought, you know, you build rapport with customers by listening, right? Dale Carnegie said this. This is from the famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He said, you make more friends 
in two months by becoming genuinely interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people to be interested in you. Is that not true, right? He's like, hey, why don't you just start listening? So I did this sales presentation all with questions. We had a bunch of brilliant people out there. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to have the questions, and they're going to say what I want said. If they don't, right, then I'll say it. But they did, and even more. And so basically, they're like, wow, great presentation. And I'm thinking, I just ask questions, just well-placed questions. And I've been trained as a coach, and I stink at it because coaches, like, like business coaches, you're supposed to ask good questions. And it's hard for me to listen because I just want to tell them what to do, right? <laughs> and so um, listening is so important. It's no wonder that James, in the book of James, said, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, the first service that one owes others in the fellowship, in the church, consists in listening to them. Is that not beautiful? We all know this intuitively. Haven't you sat down with somebody and they just, like you got to pour your heart out and they may not have said much, but you, you felt loved and listened to, right? I mean, there's something beautiful about that. Christians, especially ministers, so often think they must always contribute something when they're in the company of others, that this is one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. You know, I don't know that many seminaries have a class in listening. I was talking to a guy who, who's a medical doctor last night, and he said, we had a class in listening. I said, what? No, I'm kidding. Um, he, he, he said, we had a class in listening. I go, you're ahead of the seminaries. He goes, because, you know, stats show most doctors interrupt their patients, and they listen for like eight seconds. Sorry, you guys, if you're a doctor here, you know. You're like, oh, you got 12. I got, uh, um, you know, and pastors would be the same way, right? This is what he's saying. He says, listening can be a, a greater service than speaking. Early in my marriage, I had a mantra, listening is fixing. Listening is fixing, right? Because you come into a relationship, and maybe there's something on their heart, some burden or whatever, and you quickly diagnose the problem, and then you write your prescription verbally. It never fostered intimacy in my marriage, right? What my wife wanted, she's a good problem solver. She wanted empathy. Now, there's times where she's like, hey, what do you think? But, but many times, and you know what? I want the same thing from her. I don't want to come to her with a, a burden and have her fix it. I actually want empathy and I want to be listened to. So ladies, listening is fixing. There's times, right, to help problem solve, but many times we just want to be able to have somebody who's safe, right, a safe spouse. You know what I mean by safe. They're not, whatever you're sharing is not going to cause, you know, Mount St. Helens to erupt, a a safe and, and will empathize with you. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. But let's face it, listening is hard, isn't it? Listening is, it's difficult. 
um, a number of years ago, Gretchen and I were stuck, and so we went to a counselor, and um, he started teaching us uh, active listening. Now, I've taught active listening. I understand active listening, but I'm like, hey, we'll take anything, right? We'll take anything. Do you know active listening is where you listen, right, and then you, you, you pause at times and, and repeat what you think they're saying, and they kind of help you, correct you, fix it. Yeah, because, because you want that other person, you, you hold your biases, you hold your stuff aside, you want that other person to, to know that you get them. I get you. I may not agree with you, but I get where you're coming from. I understand your feelings and emotions behind this. So it was like we, there was like this pillow or something, and the person who was uh, talking got the pillow. The person who was listening didn't, and so Gretchen did her talking, and then, and then it was my turn to talk. And so during my turn to talk, I broke active listening rule. You know, I did something like I checked in and asked for something, and I'm not supposed to do that. And the counselor, you know, said, no, 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 you know, don't do this, you know. And, and I think it was, it was late in the day, and I hadn't eaten much, and so I was a little hangry. And, and so after getting corrected by the counselor, he goes, okay, now tell Gretchen what you're feeling. And I'm like, well, I'm feeling angry at the counselor right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was my feeling. The counselor says... In this office, it's my way or there's the door. And I was like, what? And I go, really? Like, this is, you're drawing a line in the sand? Yes, stands up in this office. It's my way or there's the door. I go, Gretchen, this isn't the counseling that I'm looking for. And she's like, yeah, fine with me. I felt like such a failure, you know. Uh, on the other hand, Listening is hard, isn't it? What if he would have practiced what he was teaching? So, what I hear you saying is, you're feeling, right? Isn't that it? But when it, when it becomes personal, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak. When it becomes personal, haven't you ever entered a conversation with somebody you love and care about? And you're like, oh, we're going to fix this. And all of a sudden, mm, right? Something, yes, it is so hard to kind of hold all your emotions and feelings at bay and truly get the other person. Because we want to be gotten, right? We want to be gotten. Bonhoeffer said, Christians have forgotten that the ministry of listening has been committed to, to them by him who is himself a great listener. I mean, we pray to God. People all around the world pray to God. Do you ever wonder, how can God ferret out all the prayers? Because at any one moment, a bunch of people are praying. I've been overseas, and I remember the last mission trip before COVID. Uh, the way we prayed, we would get together, and we'd all speak in our own languages, and we'd all pray at the same time to God, which is kind of cool. And I used to be like, how does God get all that, right? But God isn't bound by time. He can hear everybody in the same moment if he knows the number of hairs on our head. And he is the consummate great listener. And look what he says. He's a great listener whose work uh, they should share. So you and I have Jesus living in our hearts. So we should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. How is that? Do you ever listen and say, oh, wait, I'm going to... I'm listening, but God in me is listening too, right? And sometimes when I listen, I don't just listen to words. I listen for feelings. 
Like, what, what is, what's the feeling here? What's happening? What's going on? What's the thing behind it? It's, it, it's so much uh, deeper. And frankly, because I'm not the best listener, I, I pray prayers like this. Lord, I can't listen well, but you can in me and through me, right? Jesus died for us to give his life to us, to live his life in us and through us. So, Lord, you're the great listener. Somehow, in my inability, help me to listen. And even if I fail, you're there to pick up the pieces, Lord. So may I be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So Bonhoeffer would say the first ministry that we have with one another is listening. He, he says the second is helpfulness. And I always think of children who are helpful, right? Helpfulness. And, and when I... Um, look out on a group of people, I think of how everybody's wired differently. A lot of times in premarital counseling, I'll I'll use the five love languages. You know, you have um, affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch. And all of us, we're going to probably major in one or two of these, right? I, I like this description because it marriages love languages and coffee together, which I like both of them. So if, if your love language is affirmation, you, you would say, uh, your coffee is delicious, right? That's an affirming about somebody's coffee. If your love language is, is acts of service, you'd say, I made you coffee. If your love language is receiving gifts, you'd say, here's coffee, or I bought you a pound of your favorite coffee. If your love language is quality time, you'd say, let's go get a coffee. And then my favorite, if your love language is physical touch, you'd say, let me hold you like a coffee. (laughs) Um, So all of us have these natural love language. And my wife, she, her top one is acts of service. She outserves me like crazy. I, I can't even, mine is words of affirmation. So she serves me and I praise her for her service, right? And, and the, here's the funny thing about love languages. When you get to know it, a lot of times they'll say, well, you need to love that person in their love language. I'm just not wired that way. I could try my best and I will never fully meet their needs. And you know what? I appreciate my wife's acts of service, but when I'm served, it doesn't say I love you as much as words of affirmation, right? Because that's how I'm wired. So what do you do with this mismatch? You know what I do? When my wife serves me, I affirm myself in my head, she loves me, right? I translate it into my love language. And when I praise her, she says, he's serving me with his words, right? I mean, this is like you, you, you just learn to live and love each other within it. But when we talk about helping, some of you are going to be better helpers than others. But we're all called to helping. Bonhoeffer says the second service that one should perform for another in the Christian community is that of active helpfulness. This means initially simple assistance in trifling external matters. There's a multitude of these things wherever people live together. Nobody's too good for the smallest service. One who carries about the loss of, I'm sorry, one who who worries about the loss of time, such as uh, time that such petty outward acts of helpfulness entail is usually taking the importance of his own career too solemnly. 
Is that like a slap in the face? Sometimes I'm too busy to help, right? We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. There are just needs that are in the community of believers. Some people try to do it all themselves, but it's so nice when someone offers you an act of service. I mean, I was throwing out a, a washer, dryer, some big, big appliance, stove, I think it was, and you know, I had to get it to the curb. So I'm doing this thing because I, I can't carry it. I'm kind of like, like one leg to the other, like, it's like walking it. And my neighbor, she's like this tall, want a hand? No, no, no. Oh, come on, you know. She comes over, grabs it. You know, the trifling interruption to her day was a big blessing for me because it's going to take a while to walk that thing out to the curb. And, and this is how it is in the church. There's always these things that are interruptions to our day, but they're God's interruptions. I think one of my favorite God interruption day was, um, this, is our, this is our chapel out back. We also have a fire pit and a prayer path. That, by the way, when it warms up, it needs some TLC. It, it, we didn't TLC it during COVID. It needs, it needs some help. But, but before we had the prayer path, the church was built. A guy who's like a lift driver comes in. He's like, hey, I'm a Christian. I just want to talk to you. I see your new building. What are you doing? Yeah, sure. Interrupts the day. He's a, he, inconvenient, so to speak. And we start talking. And, and somehow he gets on, like, what's your vision for the, for the stuff back there? And I go, you know, I'd love to have a prayer path back there. He goes, brother, if you can conceive it, it already exists. And, you know, I internally roll my eyes. I'm like, I can conceive a lot of things that don't exist, right? You know, um, and, and, but I didn't say anything. I just let it go. We had a great time. We prayed together. Maybe an hour or so later, somebody else comes in, and they're struggling. They're suicidal. And it was, really, it was a very intense thing. And I'm with them for a long time inside. And then I'm like, you know what? We need to go for a walk. Let's go back on our property. You know, why not? Now, there's no path back there, but we just walk through the woods. And uh, as we're back there, I notice the guys that are doing landscaping. They have that landscape. They make mulch in the back of our property. In the last board meeting, they had said, hey, Pastor Doug, look at our boundary lines. These guys have decided our property is theirs. They've knocked down trees. Can you talk to them about it? So I see the guy, and I'm like, I'm going to go talk to him. So I pause my time with my friend here, and I go back, and I start talking to these guys. And I'm like, hey, you look at my phone, see the picture. You, you just crossed the boundary line. You're, you're on our property. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're sorry. Maybe we could rent. Maybe we could do this. And I say, for past transgressions, I've always wanted a prayer path. Would you guys build it? Yep, yep, we'd build you a prayer path, you know, for free. You know, like, done. So Mr., if you can conceive it, it already exists, was more right than I was. And they built us a prayer path. And as you know, then a Boy Scout came and said, hey, I need an Eagle Scout project. And he put benches and signs up. And, and it was a day of interruptions, but it was God's day. And you know what it's like when you get interrupted, but then you look back and you're like, yeah, I suffered some, but Lord, you were in that. You were in that phone call when I really wanted to watch Seinfeld reruns, right? You were in that, like you were in the interruptions, it's interesting, I noticed something I'd never really noticed before. Galatians 6, 7 says this, Don't be deceived, God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, 
he will also reap the one sows to his flesh, to his selfishness, his sinful side. From the flesh will reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. He's like, hey, if you put a tomato seed in the ground, you mock God thinking you're going to get a banana tree, right? That's not how God works. And if you think you can be selfish and keep sowing to your own selfishness, you're not going to grow an eternal life tree. God is mocked when you think that way. Okay, we get that. But look what, he, look what he's talking about here. What kind of selfishness is he specifically talking about? He rolls right into, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. The seeds he's talking about are these helpful things, these acts of kindness, this, this living out in, in your community, in your home, in, your, in the body of Christ, like doing good. Isn't that interesting? We always think of that verse, or at least I always had, in, in other terms. And I'm not saying it's not true, but he's the feet on the ground, the, the, the rubber meets the road where he says, if you have an opportunity to do good, do it, especially to those in the household of faith, especially to those in the church. And Bonhoeffer says, only where hands are not too good for deeds and love and mercy in everyday helpfulness can the mouth joyfully and convincingly proclaim the message of God's love and mercy. Because, you know, you get somebody who's a selfish slob and they tell you all about Jesus and you're like, yeah, I, hey, we're all sinners, right? So I am a selfish slob at one level or another. But, but we're always working like, Lord, help me to be like you would want me to be. I thought of something that, an illustration that Tim Keller shared, and it's always sat with me. He talked about a woman coming to uh, his church in New York City, and he said uh, to her, oh, nice to meet you, and, and they got talking, and why are you here? And she said, well, I, I work for this company, and this guy is my boss, and he, he attends here, and he told me about the church. And they started talking a little more deeply, and she said, you know, I messed up at work, and frankly, it was bad enough that I would lose my job. And um, I've had lots of bosses take credit for things that I did well, but my boss took credit for the thing I did wrong. He took a hit, but he didn't lose his job. And she goes, I just observed this. And I went into him, uh, uh, into his office later, and I said, hey, thank you, but why did you do it? He's like, I oh, don't worry about it. Just, you know, you're a good worker. And, and then she, she wouldn't stop. She persisted. No, really. And finally he says, hey, I'm a Christian, and my Lord and Savior took the hit for me. So I figured I could take the hit for others. Is that not beautiful? She's like, I want to go to that church that that guy goes to. The ministry of helpfulness. Next, the ministry of bearing. The ministry of bearing. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Have you ever heard anybody say, I really don't hate my job. I just can't stand the people I work with. You ever been there? You know, you're like, ah. Oh. 
I work with human sandpaper all day long, right? They just rub me raw, you know? And, and I really think that the ministry of bearing has a lot to do with living in community. Can I say that, that different personalities will naturally rub each other raw, right? Let's say you've got the person that is like, just the facts, just the facts, just tell me what it is, short and simple, and get to work. And then they meet with the person who needs at least 15 or 20 minutes just to, to talk to you, and their stories are like way long, right? Well, those two people, you put them together on a task, unless they have some self-understanding, self-awareness, they're going to be like, oh, I can't take, right? Because the one person's going to offend the other person. Why? Just being who they are. And Bonhoeffer really talk about how the ministry of bearing is just learning to live in community with how people are wired, let alone the sinful side that we have to deal with. And I noticed something in Galatians 5 that I actually hadn't really noticed before. And it's because of the chapter break. When you come to the end of Galatians 5, you see, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, or envying. Some say conceited, boastful, challenging, or envying. Can I say, if you work with, live with somebody who's proud, who's envying, who's challenging you, that's human sandpaper, right? I mean, that, that would be a difficult person to get along with, right? And, and Paul would say, hey, if somebody's caught in a trespass, I think the trespass he's thinking about is kind of these, an inflated ego, right? And the reason many times I, I don't get along with people with inflated egos is my ego is too big to get along with them, right? We have the bumping. Remember those, some young people won't remember, but uh, older people, remember Mayor McCheese and those McDonald commercials where they had those big heads and, okay. Yeah, because my Mayor McCheese head runs into everybody else, right? And he's like, hey, if somebody's caught in a sin, and I think he's talking about pride, etc., you who are spiritual should restore such a one with gentleness. Watch out for yourself that you're not tempted. Why? Because when you try to help somebody and they're, they're real big-headed and they're like human sandpaper in one way or another, you come in with good intentions, but all of a sudden, something inside of you, right? They've just... They've just stuck a pin, right? They've, they've just, they've, they've, they've enlivened the beast. You start becoming angry. He goes, watch out, you'll get tempted too. But part of this is living in Christian community as we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus died for his enemies. And the more I see, Lord, I was your enemy and you made me your friend, when someone is difficult to get along with, help me to, maybe I can help them to see life a little better, or maybe I just live in this kind of loving, forgiving way. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Do you see how it's all connected there? There were no chapters when Paul wrote this letter. But each of you must examine his own work, and then you'll have reason for boasting in regards to himself alone, Right? Other boasters are like, I'm better than you. I'm better than you, right? And he's going, no, just compare yourself to yourself. Then you can, you can feel good about yourself because you're only compared to you. 
not in regards to others. Each one must bear his own load. Bonhoeffer said, he who is bearing others knows that he himself has been born. What is he talking about there? This is very helpful. Because guess what? If you're, if you're not appreciating or liking or if you're having a hard time with somebody, somebody is having a hard time with you. It's humbling, isn't it? I might be human sandpaper to somebody else. I've had that situation where, where I worked somewhere once. There was nothing I could do to get along with this person because I bothered them. I, I, just me. Just me being me, right? And I'm like, yeah, so they bore me. I bore them. And when you are with somebody and you're struggling and you're bearing, remind yourself, oh, I am this to somebody else. And if you don't even feel that way, know that you are that person to Jesus and that he bore your sins on the cross. That's why it's the law of Christ. Or look at Ecclesiastes. I kind of like this. It's a similar uh, thought. Don't take to heart all the things that people say. Least you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. He's like, oh, I can't believe they said that. And he's like, don't take it too seriously because think about all the times you said that, right? Yeah, you bear with others because you are born by others bear you, if that makes sense. And then lastly, the ministry of proclaiming. And he would say if you're a good listener, if you're helpful, if you're bearing, you're going to have an opportunity to proclaim. Now, sometimes you don't feel worthy of proclaiming. I, I remember when a couple came into my office and they said, hey, would you do my mother's funeral? And I said, sure, I'd be glad to. When did she pass? Tell me about her. Oh, she's still alive. But she's 99 and we know it's coming. And I said, oh, where is she staying? Oh, the, the, the care facility right over here. Can I visit her? Sure. So I started visiting this sweet, really positive 99-year-old woman. I mean, she was so... Po I, I never met a more positive person. She's bed-bound. They treat me so well here. It is so nice. I'm thinking, wow. It was beautiful getting to know her, and I really felt almost unworthy to, to teach a 99-year-old person anything, right? So I would just ask her questions, and I'd ask her about that, and I'd ask her about Jesus. And finally, she says to me, would you stop asking and start telling? <laughs> She's like, tell me about Jesus, right? Oh, fine, you know, and sometimes I think we're, we're hesitant to actually proclaim, maybe we don't feel worthy, maybe, you know, for whatever it is, but, but people need to know about the hope that lies within you. And it can be awkward, it can be weird at times, but, but Jesus is real. And being willing to talk about, like, who he is to someone is actually an act of love. It isn't always perceived as an act of love, though, by the other person. I remember years ago when I uh, was in college, I worked a summer. Anybody remember Dover Lake Parks? They're not here anymore. Some of you remember the water slides and all this stuff. And I, I cleaned the parks at night. It was like me and one other guy, you know, and it was a horrible job. And, um, <clears throat> but I did it. And there, the other guy and I would talk and... And I would, I would tell him about Jesus in my life and stuff, and he, his goal always was to irritate me. 
He didn't like that I was a Christian. He loved that I was irritated. He would love to try to irritate me, and I, I wasn't going to let him get me. One time, he got me, and I went off on him. And I used words that I can't use here loudly and in his face, you know. And, and I'm like... And I just went off on him. And, and, and then I felt bad, you know. I don't get angry too much, but when I do, I always feel bad. And I felt bad, and I went to him, and I apologized. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And he's like, sorry? Now there's hope for me. <laughs> he goes, I thought you were close to perfect, and you're not. I'm so happy, right? And I'm like, you know, so often I think we're just one sinner communicating to another sinner where the Savior is. And it's so easy to somehow think that, that it's different. We don't talk down to somebody else. We just, we just talk to them. We proclaim the good news. And when you've been when you're listening and, and helping and, and bearing, you're able to... Um, to have a voice and to speak the good news to one another. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your kindness that always leads to change, for your goodness. We sit or stand here acknowledging that 2,000 years ago, you made a way for us, that you said there, there is no way I will take upon myself the sins of the world so humanity can be with me. And all we need is need. All we need is to say, yes, Lord, I believe, I need you, I, I receive you, Lord. And for that, we say thank you. Thank you for who you are and for all your kindness that comes to us. Jesus, in your name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.